The Sandwich of the Future Served for nearly a decade at various Disney parks, it was a sandwich you could safely and securely eat with one hand. And they called it the Handwich. Welcome to two thirds, maybe more focused. I'm Rasmus. And I'm Red. And I'm Jan. Damn, I didn't even have time to interrupt you. <laughs> Aha! And I'm Joe. Hey! Hello, Joe! Hey, Joe! Welcome, Joe. Thank you very much. Well, and thank you for allowing me to invade both England and your home. It's been pretty, pretty miserable, to be honest. <laughs> um, That's not what you told me earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to have someone to make laugh by saying it. So, oh, well. You know. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been good. Um, Rasmus has been saying pre-Maker Central, mm. um, down in sunny Somerset. Yeah. Semi-sunny, yeah. I should say. Yeah. We have seen the sun. We have seen the sun. It did make an appearance. Um, yeah, it's been really good. Yeah. Lots of fun. He has been helping me in the workshop, not doing anything relating to blacksmithing. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, when it comes to knife making, that's how Joe sees me the most useful. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But anyway, we can go on for a bit. How's your week, though, Jan? Um... <laughs> Wait, what I'm I'm not I'm not allowed to say um no, just kidding. Um busy, good. Uh foot still hurts a little bit. Plus side on that is uh because I have to lay low, I was not allowed to go to the exhibition where my company is at at the moment. Mm-hmm. Ooh, so I'm lucky. not necessarily unhappy about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um yeah. Just, uh, but then on the other side, the rest of the company is at the exhibition at the moment. So I'm uh, doing phone support and all the running projects and stuff at the same time. So yeah, I've been busy, which is good, which is nice. Uh, foot is getting a little bit better, still hurts though. I have no, I can't can explain why it's not getting better that much. Because you're moving and walking and doing stuff. <laughs> and sacks of concrete? No. Are you trying to get me in trouble? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, I have no clue why my foot is not getting better. Um, um, other than that, yeah, it's been it's been a usual, like, not kind of normal week. Um, and today I almost didn't make it to the podcast in time because I went with Steph because she got her next tattoo today. Yeah. So that was Ooh. really nice. Yeah, it came out really good. Do you want to describe what it is? It is basically an album cover with a piece of text for like song lyrics uh, from Frank Turner. Nice. Be more kind. Yeah. Yeah. And by saying next, you imply that it's not the first one? No, it's. I think it's her third tattoo. Okay. But the last one's been dating back probably well, before we dated. So over 10 years. Okay. So, so when you need I met to explain her, that to me. Uh, uh, I've been wanting my... F- like I've been wanting a tattoo for mm-hmm. probably 25 years. I mm-hmm. have the idea in my head. I know exactly what I want to get. Yep. I've never had the courage nor the money to do it. Okay. But every people that I know that got their first tattoo, that's mm-hmm. exactly what they said. I got my first one, then my second one, then my third one. Yeah. In my mind... I want only one. I, 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 I just want that one. Yes, and depending on where you get your first tattoo, you probably feel that way for a couple of years. And then after that, you, you, you want a new one and you want more. 
That that that's why that's what I don't understand yet. I know a lot of people that only have one tattoo. Okay. Because in their mind it was anchored that they for a certain reason just wanted that one tattoo. Okay. I was I always wanted there was always one tattoo I really wanted, but it mm -hmm. wasn't excluding other ones. Okay. So I never had the mindset of oh it's just gonna stay one. I'm just okay. like my first tattoo had to be a special one. So you had this open mind of if I enjoyed the first one, I would probably get yes, more. Yes, yeah. Okay. Because if I would say now that it's had a, every tattoo has a, has to have a special meaning, that would be an absolutely lie. Like my first two tattoos uh, were really important to me for like the the, the context behind it, mm -hmm. um, and now the third one is mainly because of traveling. So they all have importance to me. Yeah. Uh, but then on the other side, I'm also now open to just as an art style. Okay. Like I get, I'm gonna get my next tattoo next Thursday. Um, it's gonna be the next band on my wrist. And this okay. this one's gonna be for my hometown because mm -hmm. the the con like the countries I travel to or where I stay uh, that are special to me. I want to get a tattoo. So if you um, have an accident when you're overseas, they can send you back or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm really just talking about strictly art, like around the wrist. But then mm. in two weeks, I have another um, tattoo appointment in um my cousin who's been apprenticed like i showed you the design um, oh, yeah, yeah yeah he sent me his design today for my next one and that one i was just it's like hey if if there's something you want to ink like just go ahead my left leg's empty <laughs> go have fun <laughs> <laughs> and he's like well thanks man <laughs> here's a couple of ideas i'm like yep looks great do it <laughs> nice yeah you have tattoo joe and res no, I have no tattoos. I received some great advice regarding tattoos once um, from a friend of mine who has quite a few. Uh, he's led a hell of a life. And um, I had some ideas about something I wanted, get, wanted to get tattooed. I had a few ideas. Um, and he just looked at me and said, wait until you have a story to tell. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was great advice. Um, and that, you know, for me, it would have to mean something, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Or be relating to something that's been part of my life for a long time um and i think waiting until i have a story to tell was a great great bit of advice there. yeah yeah no because the, i i mean yes and no. i know i totally agree and respect the, the, you, what you just said and and yeah i i fully agree the only thing that's bothering me is that my idea is a full bag and it's um, a, a lot of small elements and it's full of uh, symbolism. So there's a story, but you can still add to the story. So as long as I don't go to a tattoo shop and, and say, that's the tattoo I want, I want this, this, mm -hmm. and this, I could wait forever to just have this story completed and, and inked. Go to an established artist, somebody who you've seen the work and you like that actually agrees with you, have a personal talk have a personal talk with him, see if yeah. you agree with him. And um, you don't have to have a tattoo on the first one. I oh, like I know. you can have your back tattoo in the course of like five years. Yeah, I know. I, I, I went to different shops already. Yeah, I've met three artists. I was I was I was this close to getting done. Yeah, and no, just start with it. Say it's like you know what, like I don't have the money to do it in one turn, and they say it's like no, this is fine. And then you just whenever you have some money left over, you go and tell them it's like yep, I'm continue like for amount X, and then they start and they do it for that amount, and then you wait till the next one. Yeah, 
at knowing myself, that's not the way I I want to do it. I'm I'm the kind of extreme stupid person that said I want my full back done like in two weeks or three weeks. As, I mean, as, jumping in with both feet first. Yeah, exactly. And and oh. I, I, yeah. So yeah, that's that's probably why I I never got mine or my tattoo or my first tattoo. Um, but yeah, I I I understand that you can get addicted to it you know somehow. usually the great thing about it is like if you want to do your back the older you get the more space they're gonna have to tattoo on <laughs> that's not wrong well I, I was thinking about getting my back done when i was like in the beginning of my 20s and i was just like yeah and they gave me and like a rough estimate on how much it would be and of course with like beginning of 20 it was way too expensive for me yeah. and now i'm going back it's like well now it's probably double especially like on the, on the <laughs> bottom side <laughs> there's, there's a lot of space there <laughs> it's, it's weird how you stop growing vertically and start growing horizontally oh yeah yeah your back used to be a nice v shape and now it's just a straight line down <laughs> i'm working it's... on the pyramid <laughs> how's your week though red uh, you, you've been teasing out with funny pictures and you nearly smiled in one of them yeah uh it was exhausting to be honest but uh it was absolutely fantastic we went to uh disneyland paris uh with my wife mm -hmm. and my and kid um it was okay was it mostly for the kid or mostly for you um it was a gift for the christmas uh thingy for the kid uh from right. from my sister and my parents so it was oh. uh it was his christmas gift from from them uh including the tickets the hotel the train and everything but for wow. the three of us um so it was mostly for him but I have to confess, I had a lot of fun about it. <laughs> it's, it's it looked like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It you was... almost showed it. Yeah, I, 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 I tried to do the thing where I, yeah, I, I look grumpy on the pictures just for sending to the friends because, like, eh, I don't like to be to be there. But it was actually fantastic. It was great to be there. To be there with the wife and kid it was the first time for them. For me, it was the third time I went uh, once in Paris, but it was really long time ago, like twenty years, twenty two years ago. And the year before that, I went to uh, Tokyo Disneyland, um, but it had changed a bit a lot since since I, I I went for the first time. And yeah, aside from the rain, because there was a lot of it, uh, we were soaking wet most of the time. But it was absolutely fantastic, not only to see the kid being happy, enjoying everything that we were doing, uh, and so was the wife, and so was I. Uh, but also the people in the park. <clears throat> we had this conversation with my wife uh, when we were having a, a lunch break that people are very different when they are in that kind of places. It's it, it's like they... So my theory is like it, it talks to your inner child so much that yeah. it, it, you, you, you become true again. It's, mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't have to pretend to be an adult. You don't have to pretend to... Um, protect yourself, your family uh, from potential enemy that you can could see in the street or at work or whatever. Because you know in, you're in safe place. Everybody is here for the same um, entertainment, for the same joy of having fun with friends, family, or just by yourself. 
um, and people were very open, very kind, very smiling all the time. Uh, and yeah, becoming child again. I mean, we met Thor and Loki. Uh, we saw Spider-Man on the top of a building and we were all waving at him. And it was just fantastic to to, nice. to see that. Um, yeah, and a lot of roller coasters that was not expected. <laughs> I was not on my <laughs> to-do list, to be honest. But when the waiting line is five minutes and your nine years old kids say, hey, Let's ride this one. You say, okay, and, <laughs> and you hope for the best. <laughs> that there's suddenly a lot of regret in your voice now. Absolutely not. No, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm super happy we did that. I'm, I'm kind of proud, proud of myself because you know, guys, that I, I'm afraid of high places. Uh, so roller coasters are not something that I usually enjoy. Uh, but we did like. Everything that we could do in Disneyland uh, and in uh, Disneyland Studio, all the, the the roller coaster, we did everything. You had two uh, days, or we had two days. What the plan was to go only one day, and we took the train the day before. We arrived at five, and it was ah. it was it was the plan was to go to the hotel, wait to the the next morning to go, but. The when you exit the train station, you're just in front of Disneyland. Yeah. So the temptation to go when you have few hours left was too high. So we bought tickets online. We went um, for the end of the day. So it was like from five till eleven or something like that. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah, and and did everything all over again the next morning till yeah eleven as well. So short nights, a lot of walking. So my my legs are and my feet are, are hurting. Obviously, my bike is kind of okay, uh, but yeah, it was it was great. Um, yeah, again, probably com <laughs> properly con compacted by the yeah um... exactly yeah that was the big surprise because I've I've I had heard about this um, roller coaster called Space Mountain. Mm -hmm. uh, back in the days, it was it had a, a very very strong reputation of being the fa fastest in Europe, and a, a few bad rumors about someone getting hurt, and and so on and so on. They changed it now. It's Hyper Space Mountain, so the theme is a little bit different. And it's about Star Wars, but damn, it's fast. It's, it's <laughs> super fast. You sit down, they put you on this like. Uh, uh, 45 degree uh, ramp ready for lunch and you're waiting and you're waiting and boom you're gone it, it takes, it takes <laughs> one second and you're and you the speed is, I, I had to check because it was it, it I had the feeling that it was really fast so I checked and Google said it was 75 kilometer uh, an hour which is, wow. which is really fast for a roller coaster especially when you have a uh 360 looping and a screw door screw how do you call that Jan? um well i i think it's a corkscrew i think it's the right and yeah and all the sudden uh changing direction the left and right i love and... i love it though if you do in um roller coaster with high speed and i think yeah. for me it was six flex goliath um where you go and you have that corkscrew in there uh -huh. and for you 
it's actually so if you're going that fast it doesn't feel like you're doing a corkscrew it feels like you're That's in true. place and the yeah. whole world around you is just oh, turning yeah. because yeah. you don't have enough you feel the side force but you don't feel the pull of gravity out of your seat yeah. so for right. you it's just like it's pulling you from the side but the whole world around you is just turning like two times and then you're just that's going weird. straight your brain doesn't even realize what's going on it's just like yeah the world around me just flipped a couple of times that's kind of weird <laughs> <laughs> well at disneyland the the two roller coasters the two big roller coasters that they have are uh one is on the star wars th theme mm -hmm. the other one is on the avengers team uh theme and it's all in the dark so you don't really see anything so you don't anticipate the the corkscrew or the looping or anything i realized that we have we had done looping after we had done the looping so it was it was kind of reassuring for me because if I, oh well that's done so oh, oh, <laughs> that's cool. are there those little lights in the dome that looks like stars is yeah, that yeah, still yeah. A thing? plenty of them. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And, 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 you, and, and you just concentrate on them, and you wonder how they move in certain like. Yeah, but weird you're the one places. moving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they are. They are not. No, it was. It was really, really fun. So we are planning on going again um, as soon as we can. Let me know when, because Steph and I are still planning on going because we had to yeah, cancel yeah. our trip the last time. Well, for us, it, it's going to be next year. Uh, oh, it might, might might as well be for yeah, Steph and I. Yeah, it's going to take a, a old year of saving uh, money to to be able to go again because it's damn it's expensive and f and and food is expensive as well. And you have to buy some gifts for the kids and and the uh, years um and and the, the the mug and the everything because yeah you lightsaber did you did a kid get no, a lightsaber uh, no no he didn't want one the the thing that he wanted but in the end he said nah i i don't really need it was the helmet from the star wars like the rebellion helmet pilot yes mm -hmm. um x-wing pilot helmet uh which was really cool and i, I was totally down to buy it <laughs> To him, but after a while, it was like, nah, no, no, no. What three D printer? Christmas? Yeah, Christmas, Amazon, and stuff. Is it? No, yeah. you have a three D printer. What? You have a three D printer, though. Yes, but that one makes sounds when you push on the on the side of the. Yes, helmet. and aren't yeah. you a maker? No, I'm, not, I'm not good with Arduino's yet. But, <laughs> but, yeah, no, no, no. There's so many possibilities, but yeah, it, it was really cool. That is definitely a collaborative project in the works there. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I would, would love to do something about Star Wars because, yeah. Now, so now we have to watch all the movies. Obviously, we have to uh, um, catch up on all the uh, Marvel movies because yeah. uh, Guardian of the Galaxy Volume 3 is out now and is has seen the first one, second one, and now that is been in Disneyland and know a little bit more about those things. Yeah, he wants to, to watch the movie, so that that's really cool. That's proper parenting done right, right there. <laughs> I think so, I think so, yeah. What about you guys? What did you do? Well, honestly, I think Joe needs to first describe what a Joe is. Yeah. Because we forgot that in the beginning. Oh, yeah. What a Joe is. Yes. Yeah, so my name is Joe Garnett. <laughs> um, I have a forge called Thornwood Forge, yeah. uh, based in Somerset, England. Um, I have recently set it up. Uh, I've worked for other blacksmiths for 10 years, um, doing various different things, um, doing conservation, restoration, ironwork, making kitchenware, making household items. Um, and 
through all of that, the theme was tool making. So whether it's a lot of what I do is knife making and make a lot of axes, um, just tool making in general. Uh, so I've recently set up my own company, my own workshop, uh, based on an absolutely stunning estate um, in in Somerset. Yeah. Uh, it's it should be illegal how pretty it is around here. <laughs> it's also really nice because it's where where we got married. So um, just on top we, we of the just hill. really sorry not to interrupt you all the time, but <laughs> it is really fun when you walked into the lumberyard and you saw the brochure for the estate. Yeah, and it's your wedding at the brochure. <laughs> yeah, they had a wedding brochure and it was a picture of myself and my wife in the pagoda. That's great. Um, with a view behind, it was really bizarre seeing it out in the world. <laughs> But um, it's a really beautiful spot. Um, so this week we have, as I mentioned, not been doing much forging, mm. um, but we have been building a barbecue area just outside the workshop. So there's uh, part of the bank has been cut away and it leads into an area of woodland. Um, and Rasmus has built some steps out of railway sleepers going up onto the bank. Nice. Um, nice. And we've built a table and a fire pit cover the whole area and wood chip. Um, previously it was just, um, it was like wasteland. It was, um, covered in brambles and ivy and completely inaccessible. So, um, dug it all out, leveled it, covered it in wood chip. There's a table, fire pit, nice. big plans coming ahead, um, relating to that, but it's really cool. Today we had some chorizo and cheese over the fire, which just yeah. made the day. It was fantastic. So it was basically two blacksmiths doing woodworking. Uh, yeah. I don't think a woodworker would call what we did woodworking. Uh, <laughs> but we did... Stuff, stuff. Um, Half of it was kind of gardening as well. Yeah. Okay. A lot of digging and beating things into the ground to make it level and stick and stay upright and yeah. things like that. On Wednesday morning, we did forge a couple of blades as well. Just I, yeah. We started with that just to lure him into a false sense of security. <laughs> and I went, oh, and by the way... Yeah. <laughs> It worked though. That's that, the worst that, of it. That it butter knife you just forged, you're gonna use that to chop that tree over there. While I'm doing actual work. Mm. Well, I, I did. I did get to have a little bit of a play on your power hammer. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been trying to sell him an Anyang 15 kilo. I don't sell them. I've got no relationship to people who do sell them, but I just think they're fantastic machines. Yeah. And, um, and I do need one. Yeah. <laughs> really, really good. Um, so it's been incredibly useful having an extra pair of hands doing all of that because it would have taken me a long time by myself. That's great. Cool. Nice. And you still have food left or it ate it all? Well, we have done extra food runs. Okay. He's <laughs> like, oh, let's break for lunch. And I eat and I eat and then I sit there and look at him. And he's like, yes, okay, let's go. <laughs> I had planned in extra food runs. So it was like yesterday I had to go to the post office and, oh, Rasmus, there's a bakery just over there. And then today it was like, oh, we need to go to the timber yard. Oh, we can swing past the shop. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know me fairly well at this point, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Since we've been basically nice, nicely off topic for the last 25 minutes, um, I have a question about you guys. Like whenever I hear Rasmus like coming over or somebody visiting him, you guys have hell of a time um, like doing stuff together, forging together. Isn't, is that something that's viable if you have your own business to do like an exchange, basically, where one goes over and just works for couple of months with another blacksmith and then basically go back like a collaboration in of sorts for like classes because seriously speaking you can take in double the amount of people make advertisement that you have somebody from outside like Norwegian smith here in great britain or opposite like british smith and no norwegian 
or in Oslo. We did talk a bit about that. Yeah, we did in the car back from the forge today. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> absolutely. It's is a really great idea, and a lot of what I want to do with my workshop is work with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. I think, especially in British blacksmithing, there is a lot of keeping your secrets to yourself and being jealous of other people mm -hmm. um, okay. and other people's success and um, generally just not being very forthcoming, I think is a real shame. And so a lot of what I'm going to be doing is going to be working with other people, trying to get as many people involved as possible. Because um, I think it's really important yep. and it makes it more interesting for you, makes it more interesting for the other person. And you can only benefit really yeah. from you can learn something from everyone. That, that's kind of what I what I thought about because I was talking to the tattoo artist today that um, was seeing my wife, and that that was kind of one of the discussions because uh, he's like one month in Germany and then he's back two months in um, oh Romania. Sorry, um, so he's going back to Romania, and I that's something that's quite common with tattoo artists. They kind of like rent a chair in one of the tattoo salons so, and they travel all over like Europe or even the States and they learn from each other. And this is one is like always like the art that evolves and going to other ones and then you find your specialization in it. And um, I found it like a really interesting thing and I've only seen it really with tattoo artists. I haven't seen it too much with other jobs we were or mm. artists, let's say that because I think it's like what well, basically blacksmithing is kind of an art. Not in dead art like woodworking, but still. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, it's actually a very traditional part of your blacksmithing journey. So yeah. traditionally, your career would be split into three main sections. Mm -hmm. You'd have your apprenticeship, which would last seven to 10 years, yeah. which would be under one smith. And then you would embark on your journeymanship uh, where you would. Yeah, the same with carpenters. They still they still do that. But I have the feeling like after they're done, they're not moving anymore. Like they're going back, they open up the shop and that's it. Yeah, 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 probably. And that's definitely the case in the UK. Uh, and there's definitely a reluctance to let other people in and to work with other people, for mm -hmm. sure. I, th I think it's a fairly big thing in more traditional crafts, but it is not something that is highly encouraged anymore. Like, you have to do it yourself if you want to do it it's not a system for it mm -hmm. but at least when it comes to blacksmithing there are big blacksmithing meetups and hammer-ins mm -hmm. all over europe fairly often and i mean if you are a part of the community and you just want to meet people it's easy to just get to know when those events are and travel and go there mm -hmm. if not just visiting other blacksmithing schools and all of that but when it comes to visiting other privately working blacksmiths, I think that's a bit more unusual, unless like this, when we are friends from beforehand. Mm. Yeah. I think some of that is that um, there's uh, something I've noticed within cross people in general, which is you have people who are very good at business and you have people who are very good at the craft that they do. So you have incredible carpenters, you have incredible bowyers, you have amazing blacksmiths. <laughs> But usually people who are exceptional in their craft aren't so exceptional at the business side of things. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of the time they're struggling for business because they're not very good at advertising. They're not very good at social media. They're not very good at putting themselves out there. Mm. So they don't have a lot of work coming through the door. They, they're not so financially stable. And in order to be able to either have someone come into your workshop or take time off to travel to someone else, yeah. you have to be a little bit more financially secure. Yeah. in order to be able to do that. And I think that 
isn't a luxury that a lot of blacksmiths in the UK have. But also, I think there are a lot of people who could do it. No, I, I kind of agree. It's the same here. It's um, it, There's actually, I think, kind of like a saying about it in Germany, because it's like the best um, workers you can get, like depending on, the, it doesn't matter for what job. If they come and they do it, you wait half a year till they actually write you a bill. Because they just like all their paperwork is just a freaking mess. <laughs> and I know it from friends that they really good at what they're doing, but it's just unorganized. At that part, I want to greet Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but this, so this is, um, so this is where what I've been talking about really comes into its own with working with lots of other people because there's a group of three of us, mm -hmm. um, Steve being one of them, and I'm very much a technician. I'm um, very much technique focused. Steve is a wonderful people person. Yes. Steve can talk yeah. to anyone yeah. about anything for as long as you give him. Um, yes. <laughs> and he's amazing with people and he just builds reports like no one else I've ever met. Mm -hmm. This other chap, um, I think he's Wolf and Bison on Instagram. Yes. Um, with underscores in between. With underscores in between. <laughs> he is an incredible designer. He's an artist and he's able to translate that into steel. Mm. Um, and having a combination of people, you know, we don't work together all the time, but having that combination of people, all three with different um, strengths, means that you can give each other the benefit of what you can do. So like I can help someone with some technique and Jimmy can help one of us with a design and Steve can introduce us to people mm -hmm. who can then... Uh, who we can then do work for. And the combination of all three works far better than anyone in isolation. Yes. And that doesn't mean that I can't introduce Pete, you know, the others to someone else or Jimmy doesn't have a technique that's not worth looking at. Absolutely not. That's not what I mean at all. Um, no, but it's a good synergy. About exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has their own strengths and we have to recognize that because it mm -hmm. is just a way of life. Everyone is good at different things. That's what makes people so interesting. And I think if you can use that to your advantage, not in a malicious way, but in a collaborative way, it can be really, really useful. Yeah. It is, I feel, one of those things that's really understated, both in the sense of surrounding you with people who know things you do not, but also if you're hiring, you're hiring someone who complements your strength mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. even better, just turns your weakness around and just covers that weak spot entirely. I think sometimes as well, if you're looking to work with someone, you should work with someone who will say no to you. That's important. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> someone who will turn around and actually go, that's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. If you have someone working for you or if you have people, a team of people working for you who are just like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. You, you, you could do it like that, but you, if, yeah. if you never challenge, you'll never discover new things. I think we discussed a little bit about that the last time when we were talking about working and, and hiring people. And, mm -hmm. But uh, what you just said is absolutely right. But you have to have this trust uh, between those people. Because if, if someone is scared of losing his job because he's, gonna, he's just going to tell, no, you're, you're having a shitty idea right now and it's not, not worth it. Uh, I mean, you can't go forward as a team. But when someone has the um, trust you enough to be able to to speak the truth, uh, so, so to say, 
um, and say, no, it's it's a bad idea. We're going to lose time. We're going to lose energy. We're going we're to lose resources uh, just to test something that I don't think will lead to uh, any good. Uh, yeah, I think it, it, it requires a lot of trust. And that great to hear that you're working with with that kind of people, Joe, because especially when you're starting a business, it's, it's absolutely imperative that you surround yourself with people you can trust and people will be honest with you and, and, and help you go in the right, the right direction. It's very different from, from working in, in a company, I think, mm -hmm. especially when you're a craftsman. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been extremely fortunate. I've had an amazing group of people around me, everyone from my wife who's been just the most incredible support you could ask for um, to friends and family. Who have, a friend of mine who's never built websites before just went, oh yeah, send it over, send over everything you got. I'll just work on it. And he, he just built a website out of nowhere. I was amazed. He's just an incredible Which job. Which brings us to a sponsor's quest, but no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been so perfect though. Would have been so perfect. Um, and so I've had, I've been very fortunate to have some very, very supportive people around me. You also said, he set you up with Notion. He sent me up with Notion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to bring it uh, up yeah. to you and he was like, oh yeah, already got it. Yeah. <laughs> he was using it to plan his wedding. He was like, Joe, I've got this amazing bit of software. You're going to love it. <laughs> um, Does it happen often though? I mean, you, you, you've you opened your own uh, shop uh, not that long ago. So maybe you don't have this uh, um, history. In, in, in the relationship that you have with your employees or people who are working with you. But did, did, it, did it happen often that someone tells you, though you're having a, a, a bad idea or it, I, I don't agree with you. We can try it, but it will probably fail. And you hearing that say, oh yeah, you're right. Let's, let, let's get over it and move on and do something different. It doesn't happen often. Um, because your ideas are usually good. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. It's just that I do them when nobody's looking. Um, it doesn't happen often, but I think that's really important because it helps build that rapport. So when someone does say, actually, that's a bad idea, you really listen to them. Because it's like if, if you have someone who swears all the time, um, then those words have no impact anymore. But if you have someone who is very mild-mannered and has very clean language, and then something happens and they either swear at you or they just, you know, it's serious. Um, so it's, it's like the boy who cries wolf. Um, yeah. yep. and with working with other people, there's, there's something that I was, I was, um, told called the shit sandwich <laughs> when you're giving like constructive criticism. If, if you mm. want someone to change the way they're doing something, just going up to someone and going, that's wrong. I want you to do it my way. That's only going to lead them to uh, rebel really yeah. and become really dissatisfied and genuinely just pissed off um whereas what the shit sandwich does and i'm sure you know about it already i'm sure oh yeah I, i've heard about it yeah yeah is you sandwich where you want them to improve in between two really good things and it, it has two benefits one it forces you to i like that identify. you can hold her hammer that piece of shit but again it's really good that you can hold her hammer <laughs> yeah, that's more or less what he did to me at Mika Central last time like, oh yeah nice you're doing a good job you stand your stance total shit and <laughs> change, change your feet forward you're holding the right end of the hammer <laughs> it, it forces you to 
look at what they're doing that's really good mm -hmm. uh, and not just focus on what they need to improve on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it also kind of softens the blow for them and gives them a, a little bit of reassurance. So yeah. you, you go like, you're doing a really nice job there. You've got that part of the process nailed. Perhaps you could tweak this little bit in this way, change the shape slightly, but this other thing you've got really nicely or your technique's looking really good or you've got that heat perfect. And so you're kind of sandwiching that constructive criticism between niceness, really. Yeah. And um, I heard a quote, I've absolutely no idea who the quote's from, but it was, um, honesty without kindness is cruelty. Mm -hmm. And I think oh, it really applies like in that, that. situation. Yeah. You you have to be honest with people, but mm. without kindness, you're just being mean. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I haven't, I don't think I've heard that before. Or not, not no, but that. it's a really good saying. It's like, tell them, but don't be a dick. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It costs nothing to be nice. Yeah. It's so true. Well, that's really good. Well, then it's Steve. Would <laughs> that um, brings me actually to one question though. Do you guys just uh, basically look at the finished work, or do you actually have like sessions where you stand next to each other? One does somebody, and then you give the 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 like afterwards. You do kind of like a constructive criticism thing about like the way it works is that, or does everybody just do their own work and then you look at it afterwards and say, oh, that's great. How did you do it? And then you go over the details. I mean, for me, it really depends on who it is. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if I'm working with someone like Jimmy, I have absolute faith in Jimmy's ability. Even if it's something he's never done before, he is very, very good at working out how to do something. So I'll show him the general process and then he will work out his way of doing it. Mm -hmm. And it will take, you know, it would, it would take a few minutes, but he'll absolutely nail it and the final product will be perfect. Um, if you're teaching someone something new, it is the responsibility of the teacher if it comes out wrong. Um, it is not on the person doing I'm, it. I'm not really. even talking about doing it wrong. I'm, I'm more like the kind of, um, I often have to do work that I have like a certain work step that I have to do. And then I come, I, I'm shown how it works or how to do it. And then I come up with a way I want to do it like by myself, but I do that for then like the 20 different cases just because I'm so in the zone. So I just do it the same way. And then it's in restaurants. Like we talked a bit, a little bit, earlier about it uh, it's exactly how you say it you're done with the work you send out the work you turn around and you immediately see like five different things you could do differently and more efficient but mm. because yeah. i was so in the zone doing those things i did not come across it and also like and i, I had the luck before that i did something uh, on my way which i thought it was streamlined and then my co-worker came up and he was really nice about it. it's like did you know that you can actually like save half of the time because there's like a certain template or there's something you could use and you're like oh <laughs> well if it's if you know if you only know how to do it the way you know how to do it yes exactly so if, if um and it takes time to develop efficiencies and develop techniques. Like if, um, if you, if I'm showing someone how to make something, I'll show them my way, but with the understanding that they will probably find a way that's better for them mm. or they will find a way that's more efficient or they'll think of a tool that will make the process more efficient. And, um, you can then discuss those ideas with them, but you won't discover anything new if you insist that someone does something the way you do it. I, I, you have also done a fair bit of teaching. And I think you also have experienced that when 
you should just show someone how you do it. Maybe not specify just this is the way I like to do it and it's dozen different other ways. But every once in a while, there is a student who will just forget certain steps and they will discover a whole new method to reaching a certain goal. Maybe not the goal you were actually teaching, but you look at what they did and go like, fucking hell, that solves my problem from last week. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or you might see them doing something that's producing completely the wrong outcome, but whatever they're doing will go, ah, that's going to help with that thing that I was doing five days ago. Yeah, yeah. I've had, I've had a lot of those. Um, and also in some instances, I have had students who will just ask me the right question and all of a sudden they go, oh, wait, that's the premise I should explain this around, mm. not the way I have been explaining it. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I can, uh, which is something I've been doing a lot more into recent classes, is figuring out how little can I tell the student and still have them reach the final goal within the time frame. Mm. And it's been an interesting challenge to skip over things I thought were kind of important for them to understand the process, but they don't need to understand that side of it. I mean, yeah. a, a stu stupid example is like, how detailed do I need to explain what happens when you harden and crunch something? Yeah. And it's like, no, it's, I can tell them it's magic and that will be fine. Yeah. Some of them will ask but what happens and I can delve into that with them. But just for the class, it's more like, no, like the steel goes hard, the quicker it goes cold. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, relative to carbon, that's what I tell them. And then we just work from there. And also students uh, will forget 70% of what you say. So generally when you're yeah. being taught something, you each time you go over it, you will remember 30% of the information you're given. So with students who are perhaps blacksmithing for the first time, it's quite an overwhelming experience. So the less information you give them, the better in mm. a way. Yes. And you want yes. them, you don't want to overwhelm them with information. You just want to give them the safety stuff. Mm -hmm give them enough information to be able to achieve what they want to achieve. And yeah. then as they progress through the day or through the couple of days, you give them more and more information so that they have time to process it. And they have the context around the, by doing everything else, they have a context to be able to slot that new information into place. Absolutely. Because you can tell them like it, right at the start of the day, when you're drawing something out, make sure you do it square, not round. But they don't have enough information to know what drawing out is. So that or why that's or, or why so having that information is useless. They need the context of having tried it. Yeah. Also, like most people doing blacksmithing, it's um, like the blacksmithing courses. I remember my first one, and for me, that like that magic of forming sparkling. No, not sparkling. In, in a possible thing, it's not sparkling, but like basically glowing <laughs> yeah. metal, um, like hitting it with a hammer, forming it. It's in a certain way, like you said, it's like magic you do it you have a ton of fun but you were i was so not, not even nervous but so excited about it that my attention span was basically down to zero i was just like it's glowing i can hit it this is fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and it took me the second class the knife making class that i actually took to um where they actually did the that was really good. They took the time to go over the basics again, like really short, but I didn't remember 90% of the stuff. I was just like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to hold it like this. And yeah, so that, 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 that really helped. And, uh, but it, for the first, if somebody takes a hammer up for the first time on blacksmithing, you're so excited about it. You forget everything else around you. Yeah. I haven't actually, thought that much about it but that's probably exactly why i really like doing two-day classes mm -hmm. mm. and never like evening classes taster classes or anything like that mm. because 
they need that like sleep time in between yeah. to absorb the information and realize that yeah it is fun and exciting but it's not uh, it's now more trivial kind of Mm-hmm. It is something they can now f- understand the process and not yeah. the excitement of being doing mm-hmm. an activity. Absolutely. But I haven't been doing any longer classes than that. Have you? Uh, two days is the longest I've done. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, I would love to put together a workshop kind of thing. I've I've taught blacksmithing for two days at a time, but um, I've taught bushcraft courses for up to a week at a time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's because you also do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was how I got into blacksmithing in the first place. Um, Tell us more. Okay, it's a slightly yeah, yeah. long story, so I hope you've got some time. Um, we do. So I was seventeen, and I was in sixth form, which is basically college. So I was um, sixteen, seventeen years old, and I had been doing bushcraft for a very long time. Uh, it was something I've always been interested in. And, and bushcraft, for anyone who isn't aware, is an umbrella term that encompasses many different things like campcraft, fieldcraft, natural history, ethnobotany. All of these different subjects are all classified under the term bushcraft. And it's basically being able to live in the outdoors, not just survival, which is basically slowing down the rate at which you're dying uh, it's being is <laughs> <laughs> being able to live comfortably in an outdoors environment yeah like rebuilding society yeah exactly <laughs> with the respect that you're doing it in a sustainable way so you're not just destroying the area you're in because that's not you're not going to be able to live there for very long so I've been doing bushcraft since I was a kid. Uh, I was very lucky. My parents just sent me on courses during the holidays, probably trying to get me out of the house, get me out of the hair. <laughs> uh, so I spent a lot of my childhood in the woods um, learning bushcraft um, from a lot of amazing people. And then you use knives and axes every day mm-hmm. in bushcraft. Just They're just tools. You They lose all their mystique and they just become functional tools. And in bushcraft, you should be able to go out into the wilderness with just a knife or an axe or both mm-hmm. and create everything that you need to be able to live. And that led me to thinking, what if I don't have a knife? How do I make the knife? Or how do I make the axe? Mm-hmm. So I started buying blades and putting handles on them, making a knife handles. That was a sneaky way of getting, letting my uh, my parents letting me get more knives basically um, <laughs> yeah. so I'd buy the blades put handles on there. I was like well that's a bit lame now isn't it I better start making the blades so I got old files and um, would soften them and grind them to shape and I uh, made a little paint can forge with a blowtorch in the side it was a little bit rubbish but it worked yeah yeah um, and started kind of forging blades went on a little knife making course for my 18th birthday Um. And then around that sort of time, I was leaving sixth form and I decided that university wasn't going to be an option for me. It, I'd done okay academically, but I just wasn't interested yeah. in classroom learning. It wasn't, it wasn't for me. I, it wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have justified the tuition fees. I didn't put in enough effort. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so instead, I started teaching as a judo instructor and... Because you're also doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do judo anymore. I haven't for a few years, but um, I did for a long, long time. Um, so I taught for a company called Southern Counties Schools Judo, and I did a Bushcraft Instructor's Award. So 
for a week every month for 10 months. We lived in the woods, learning bushcraft, learning how to teach. And that was with a company called the Woodcraft School based down in Sussex. And that was fantastic. That was really formative for me. That delved deeper into bushcraft than I ever had before and made me feel really, really confident in the outdoors. And that lots of things happened all at the same time. In that same year, I rang up a local blacksmith for some advice about buying an anvil because I was using a little anvil on a vice and I'd cracked it. Mm-hmm. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, it's rubbish. Um, so I rang up my local blacksmith and we had a chat and he said, do you want a job? Um, <laughs> so yeah. which I said, yes, please. So <laughs> I didn't, I, I never ended up buying an anvil until last year. Um, but <laughs> Ask Rasmus if have plenty of them. <laughs> don't, don't, don't get into that now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I started working one day a week for him whilst also teaching judo and doing the bushcraft instructor sword. And then at the end of that year, I quit the judo job. The course came to an end and I went full-time blacksmithing. Um, and I did that. I've done that for the last 10, 11 years. Um, knife making continued to be a theme throughout. Um, although there was a funny thing about that, which I'll go into later. Um, so that's how I got into it. And that's kind of continued as a theme throughout. And as, as has the bushcraft. So I've done loads of courses since kind of zooming in on different aspects of bushcraft whether it's the track and sign whether it's the craft element um and kind of just gathering all this knowledge which is something that i really really enjoy i love learning really love learning just not in a classroom apparently yeah and <laughs> yeah. um, the funny thing about knife making that i said i'll come back to is that my knife making improved the most when i stopped making knives so there was a, a period of a couple of years I had to have an operation on my wrist or three operations on my wrist. Um, and then during that process, as I was coming back to blacksmithing, there were a couple of years where I, I just didn't make any knives. I just didn't get around to it. I didn't have the chance. Um, and all I was doing was the basics, whether it was skewers or nails, just doing the basics over and over and over. Really simple, drawing out tapers, um, thousands and thousands of them. And... Then when I went back to knife making, my blacesmithing was far better, way better than it was, even though I hadn't made any knives. Mm-hmm. So and it was literally just practicing the basics over and over um, that made my whole blacksmithing better. So whenever, you know, it's not very often that I get asked for advice because why would you? But um, <laughs> if it ever does happen and someone's asking for some advice with knife making, the first thing I tell them is stop making knives. Go or, you know, make a few knives, but just go and learn general blacksmithing yeah. because the skills you will learn will be so much more useful than if you just learn about bladesmithing and knife making. Mm-hmm. The world of um, techniques and tool making, just like general blacksmithing tools, whether it's spring swages or uh, vice tools or hardy tools, that you will learn as a result of general blacksmithing will be so useful when you go back to knife making. Yeah. Did that surprise you though? Like yeah. the, how much not doing knives can improve your knife making? Really surprised me because, you know, I, I think in a very linear pattern, I'm a very black and white person and much to my wife's dismay <laughs> and frustration. <laughs> um, I am a very black and white person. So to me, it was like, if I want to get better at knife making, I better make some more knives. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, the fact that not making knives made my tool making so much better was an enormous surprise. And since then, it's really um, made me kind of 
it's made me a lot better at what I do because mm. I can kind of see sideways in that respect, mm. if that makes sense. Uh, and something else that taught me that was um, bow drill in bushcraft. It's a, mesh, yeah. it's a method of friction fire lighting. Um, fire by friction, or as I call it, fire by frustration. Um, it's, it's essentially rubbing two sticks together, but you have the mechanical advantage of a bow to increase the mm -hmm. revolutions of the spindle. Mm -hmm. And what you're creating is an ember. A burning ball of dust, basically. Yeah. So you're creating hot dust, which forms an ember. You place that in a tinder bundle, so a bundle of fibrous material, and you blow into it, provide it with lots of oxygen, and it turns into flame. And uh, the thing with bow drill is that people focus on the ember at the end. Yeah. People focus on the end result being the ember. I want yeah. to get an ember. I want to get an ember. I want to get an ember. And if you only do that, you will never succeed. Or you might succeed, but it won't be consistent and you won't be able to replicate it. The only way to get good, consistent results, and this kind of links back to what we were talking about earlier, is to focus on the process. Mm. And if you focus on the process, you focus on your carving, you carve the kit perfectly in a replicable manner every time. You nail down your technique so that you have no wasted energy because it's a very mm. physical mm -hmm. task. If you just focus on the process and you're looking at the end of your bow, you're making sure you keep the bow flat, you're keeping the pressure down, you've got your left hand turned into your shin. Yeah. You focus on that. Before you know it, you've got an ember. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've actually had that exact experience in Scouts where we had like a like start, start a fire challenge without matches. And we got given sort of the variety of tools and we had to pick one or fight or one and <laughs> try to make a fire with that. And... I, I don't think I was the one who ever got the bow to make fire for me, but I did see like one of the uh, my, one of my other mates sort of almost get into this trance-like thing of just l not looking in all the wrong places. It seemed like to me, but he was going into a trance because he was just focusing on the technique and his breathing of doing the activity. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly his stick caught fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then like yeah, it, it was perfect. That was exactly what you wanted. But you needed to realize that you were focusing on the wrong thing. It's that technique is not the result, like you said. So you, you can draw an exact parallel. Your knife making will get better when you stop making knives. Your bow drill will get better when you stop trying bow drill and just yeah. concentrate on your carving technique. Yeah, yeah. Because you're, you're not being able to carve the technique properly mm -hmm. or carve the set, the bow drill set properly. Uh, you can draw parallels to almost everything, I think. Yeah. I mean, judo as well. When just going like, you can focus on trying to toss the guy or you can just focusing on trying Good to get technique. the technique right exactly. and get your weight placed right. Get your balance right. Get their balance right. Get your grip right. If you don't have a good grip, you can't throw someone. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask the, 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 the stupid or annoying question, but um, you, you have your shop now I, and I know that in the past you've made a lot of uh, batches of knives or squirrels or whatever. Um, <clears throat> Even though you are very careful about the basi basics, about the techniques, does it happen that sometimes when uh, a project is done, you go, oh, damn, I, I should have done that differently? Or you, you spot like the defaults, the, the, the little details that you could have improved whilst doing the thing? Because it happened to me like very recently, I, I shipped something to a client. And that's why I never usually go back to the pictures of the things because I was like, mm, I missed something. I should have done that better. Or that, does that happen often? 
I hope not, but it happens to me. Um, but that feeling of having missed something, how do you deal with that? Well, I, that happens a lot. It happens every time you make something. I think as craftsmen, we're all hardwired to spot our own mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is what makes us strive to be better. Mm -hmm. Um, because all we see in our own work is mistakes. And what we see in other people's work is the wonderful things about it. Um, and that does happen quite a lot. I remember a batch of, we did an enormous batch of cutlery. We replaced an entire restaurant's cutlery range. Oh, wow. And, um, it was a fantastic job. And we cocked up a few times. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's all about how you deal with it. Yeah. And the end result was fine. You know, the, the end result was great and perfect, but the processes we messed up and we could have done it better. We could have done it more efficiently. At the time, there was nothing we could do about it. Mm -hmm. So you just have to get on. Yeah. Fix your mistakes. Crack on. Okay. So how was that something you couldn't deal with in the moment? Because you didn't have the time to problem solve and tune up the process or what i mean is that we couldn't go back and fix and uh, get back the time we'd spent oh um, okay say so for example if we had um we'd ground all the times of the fork but they weren't all correct mm -hmm. we can't go back and get that time back yes we have to just go back on the grinder and fix them all mm -hmm. yes but what you can do is afterwards, once the process, once the whole project project is done, is you can have a debrief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can go, okay, what went wrong? What went right? Because it's good to celebrate what went right, but also what went wrong? What can we improve for next time? Mm. Build, building and the shit sandwich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> building it up one layer at a time. And it's really important to do that because if you don't, then you roll onto the next job and the next job. And every time you'll look back and go, well, that wasn't as good as it could have been. Or you'll every time you'll waste time. Yeah, that, I think that's a problem with people like me working alone is you, I, I don't take the time probably to debrief with myself and say, I, I just have this like imposter syndrome or these regrets or like something Crumpy back old in my man syndrome. Yeah, yeah, that like, <laughs> oh, fuck, I should have done that better. I should have saved time on this step of the project because it, it was not worth spending four, four hours doing that. I should have been able to do that in two hours. And, and not having someone to talk about your process, the end product, uh, it doesn't help. So I bet with the team, it's, it's easier to do those debrief and, and get more ideas, input to all, um, on how to improve everything that you've done, not because it's already done, but for the next time, for the next batch, for the next project. I mean, it, it, it's super useful. Whereas you're like me, you're mostly working alone. The Jan, same thing. You're on a project, you're working alone. Do you that? Do you do that? Do you do this, this debrief that Joe was talking about? Yeah, I try to. It's, it's not as formal as it probably is when you're working with other people where you need to sit down with them and actually voice the things. Well, yeah, it, I, I think that should happen. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it doesn't always, but yeah. I think it should. Does it happen often at the pub with, with, with a beer in hand? Or is it like very formal in the shop? Like, okay, the, 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 the job is done for the day. Let's talk about what happened today. And so we can do it better tomorrow is this is, is that kind of process 
I think it depends who you're with and the team you're with. If it was, if it was, if you know them very well and you're very close, then down the pub's great. If yeah. it's more, if you've got a bigger team, mm-hmm. say for example, you work in a bigger company yeah. and it is yeah. really important you do this sort of thing, mm. then you probably have a personal relationship with some of them, but then the rest you have a professional relationship yeah. with. So perhaps it's better to do it at work. What works best for you from experience? Um, for me, it works really well being able to have the things in hand mm-hmm. and go, you know, we can look at this, 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 and this. Um, and also not, you know, it depends on the situation. If someone has to rush home to get to their dog yeah, or yeah, yeah. they need to go to the gym yeah, or something like sure. that, you just yeah. do it in work time. Mm-hmm. And also if, if I'm, if in the future I'm doing this and I have a team of people, I would, my assumption would be to do it in work time because mm-hmm. that's something that is part of work. So you get paid for it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to, talk about work outside of work time unless it was brought up by a member of the team because I don't want to make the assumption that they're happy to talk about work when they're not getting paid for it because yeah you know all craftspeople do what they do because they love it sure to a certain point you have to recognize that that it is work yeah sure the briefing part is a hobbyist um kind of difficult I don't do it for most projects because it's one off so there's not really a sense for me like uh if i know that i'm gonna use the process more often with the cup recording for the game boy for example mm-hmm. uh, i knew i wanted to do multiple things that i'm going to copper code so i dug a little bit more into it and i um that's where i kind of did a debrief about just take a step back when you're done with it what uh like what worked what didn't work so like this is kind of the the improvement phase uh now i'm actually doing it for the camera straps i'm making yeah because i'm not happy with the neither with the leather i'm using at the moment with the thickness because i Mm -hmm. think it's too thick now and they were like 1.2 millimeters so this is where i'm actually going through a but this is like a try phase because I haven't started mass production, like or not mass production, but like on a larger scale producing them. Yeah. Uh, I'm still in that point where I'm like, okay, I need to do changes to the CAD file. I need to do changes with the laser settings. Um, I'm not happy with how the beveling tool works on them because I'm just ruining every single part I've tried so far. So mm-hmm. I'm either I'm doing something wrong or the tools are just shit, even the more expensive ones I bought. Um, so I want to go thinner with the letters. It's just different stuff. Like now it's the experiment, but I'm really keen on figuring that out because mm-hmm. there are not too many components and I just want to get it right. It's kind of like if I'm going to do those and if at one point I'm deciding to sell them, I want to do it to perfection. Yeah, sure. I think that was the first time I really got you read when you're talking about hanging up on small details and I'm there and just trying from different angles to like, oh, how can I shave this corner off? And it's just like, no, I'm not happy with it. <laughs> Throw it out next one. The problem yeah. with perfection is that it, it's, it can be perfect for you where you're at in mm. your journey as as a craftsman like if i if i had to, p- to make something tomorrow which mm-hmm. I, I will not because i will be sleeping all day but um, <laughs> if i had to to make something tomorrow my idea of of perfection would probably be way better than my idea of perfection uh that what my idea of perf- perfection was like three years ago five years ago ten oh, years and ago and it's not just that oh and it doesn't count for everything because you have if you know how the end product should look like you kind of have something to go off so you can set your expectations to that it's just a, a cost effectiveness 
like at one point, how much yeah. time you're spending on small details. That's true. Because yeah. you, if you want to sell a product, you have yeah. to start counterweighting. And it's, especially if you don't see it or if it's not a like a detail that it's looked after, mm-hmm. because you have to also think about your customers. And they're yeah, not gonna yeah. they're they're not gonna cut any threads and pull it apart to see if you're actually colored like the inside of something that it's not gonna be seen at Which the end. Which you should do at any time. If you have a piece <laughs> of leather, you must color dye both sides, even the parts yes. which is not uh you that you can't see. Please that color please. must run through. Yes. Yeah. Or you or you're just gonna like sew it together and then you go over it afterwards and it's fine for everyone is gonna use it and nobody's ever gonna cut it apart and look on the inside and say, Why yeah, didn't color know. the inside? You will know. I will know that that Yes, but you also know that you saved about half an hour on time. No, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> one day one day one person might yeah. take a pair of scissors yes, exactly. and they and, might and go post it, and I post it on the internet. If Red died the inside of this I piece of leather and they would go, Oh Red. <laughs> yeah, you didn't. Exactly. We expected better of you. <laughs> no, you wanted to get my stuff open, I always die the inside as well. Even he's bluffing. Is. He's bluffing. <laughs> I I can check. I have enough stuff over. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> no, no. I think it's a lot harder though when you're making one-offs because you you when you're doing a batch of things you can work things out as you go. If you are making a hundred of something, by the time you get to the end of number ten, you're making them a lot better than you were at number one. Yep. Um. But if you're making one of something, you might get to the end and go, "That's." not exactly how I wanted it. That's that's but really this true. is where I take the time. The one offs is where I don't pressure myself and I just do exactly everything I wanted because I'm no I, first of all, I'm never under time pressure because it's strictly a hobby for me, the making stuff. And um if I make something in suppressant, I want it to be exactly the way because I basically give all of my stuff I make, I give away. So for me, it's um, I want to do it right because for me, this is my free time. This is my joy. I'm doing it because mm. of the product, not because of cutting corners. But at a, if you're doing products and you know you're making more of them, this is where you have to start. Like, how can I optimize it and what is really be seen and what is needed to be done? At least that's my process or thought on that one. So what process. you said about the t- 10 first that you make your that helps you improving your techniques and and then the eleventh one is way better and then you can finish the batch. That that's absolutely true. But that bothers me so much because I would have to make ten mores and throw away the the, the first tens because I, I would not be happy with that. Yeah. And and so I I totally understand that in in when you are in a uh, running a business. You you don't necessarily have the time or the resources like financially to go back and to re- remake the first tens. But how how can you deal with that? I mean, my, I I think the idea behind uh, this conversation or, or what I I'm trying to to ask you is, um, I'm dealing with my own imperfection, with my own mistakes, with the stuff that I do wrong all the time. Most of the time I'm I'm asking myself, is the client happy? And usually he is or she is. So that's great. And that 
there is this sense of relief when the, the client says, oh, that looks great. That's exactly what I wanted. Okay, perfect. But I still know that something was not right. Something was not perfect. I could have saved time on this step or the other step or whatever. Um, I'm Fortunately, I'm not doing batches. I'm not working for a lot of clients. I'm not making hundreds of one thing. But how can you, and Raz as well, how can you deal with that feeling of, damn, I know I made a mistake. Aside from, I will try to not do it again. Because I feel that in this community, in the maker community, we are very much more focused on the mistake that we made uh, or the things that went wrong uh, compared to all the success that we had. There's a couple of things there to unpack. The first is, so to for some context, I've been working with a company called All Day Goods. They make recycled plastic knife handles and they do what they're doing is incredible. They basically take plastic waste, melt it down, turn it into amazingly colorful handles. It's fantastic. Yeah, very cool. I've been forging blades for them um, and we're doing batches every month. And relating directly to what you're saying, the first... You, you can either throw away the first 10 because they weren't good enough or you can spend, you, you know the standards, you know the standards you're trying to reach. So you can spend a lot longer on those first 10, getting those to the correct standards so you can still use them. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot more time, but that time investment saves a lot more time for the other 90. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can still use those first 10 and in the long run it's cheaper to be to spend the time on the first lot and not have to throw them away yeah than it is to rush them learn the lessons throw them away start again yeah or, or third option you're giving to people that know you and support you with your work and you just tell them that it's like those are my first tries they're not up to standard and like here go and have fun with them and you make some people really happy with it yeah absolutely absolutely um that, that, that's like Generally speaking, my approach to things. Uh, I mean, a combination of the two, by all means. Because I can often be <laughs> happy enough. Yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it was an experimental face, face you have there, uh, John. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I was holding up my uh, bottle opener I got from Raz, so yeah. for, for the listeners. Uh, but it's... In my view, when I'm developing a new product or trying to improve the production of a product, I accept the fact that there will be cock-ups, there will be things that are not good enough mm -hmm. to my standard for how I will want to them to look when people buy them, mm -hmm. especially when I sell things to a website. Yeah. Now, things might be fine if I bring them to market and people pick it up and they like it. Mm -hmm. That's a different threshold in my mind. Yeah, yeah. In addition to that, maybe below that is giving it to friends, yeah. like Jan. <laughs> uh, but it's also a thing of like, it's, it's never a f something that is completely wasted. If nothing else, it's just a part of the learning process of making things better. Mm -hmm. uh, and like, like Joe said, it's, I need to fuck up 10 to make the 100 near perfect. Mm -hmm. But also, like, perfection doesn't exist, but it's, I'm always working to the best I'm able to do in the moment, yeah. mm -hmm. both on an emotional state and the tooling I have available, mm -hmm. but also my skill level at the time. Yeah. 
So I have knives that I know I was super happy with when I finished them. And then I pick them up or find them again after three years and I look at them and I was like, what the fuck were I thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And directly relating to that, I heard this explained on another podcast was if you imagine uh, an archery target, but it only has two circles. It has a small one in the middle and a big one around the outside. Yeah. The small one in the, in the middle is your circle of influence. And the big one around the outside is your circle of concern. And mm. in the circle of concern is everything you're worried and stressed about. Mm. And in the circle of influence is everything you can control, which is why it's a lot smaller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to take the lessons from your mistakes. Yeah. And you always learn more from cocking something up than you do from doing something perfectly. Absolutely. But if you can't do anything about it, there is no point worrying about it. Mm. And I say that as a massive hypocrite because I spend a lot of time worrying about things I can't control. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> but, yep. but it's definitely something to strive towards because if you can do something about it, then you don't need to be stressed about it because you have made a change already. Yeah. Where I think, Red, what I think you're getting to is where you kind of, the gray area, mm -hmm. the tiny line between influencing um, concern where you kind of can and kind of can't control it, which is where you finish something yeah. and then send it to a client. And then later when you've, say a year down the line, when you made more things, you go back and you look at it and you go, that's not up to my current standard. Yeah, exactly. But it, <clears throat> it, it's the same thing with life. I mean, what, what you just said made me think of what I was trying to tell my kid uh, when we were um, at the train station and he was looking left and right, very excited to see what direction the train would come from. And he was, he, he was getting excited, but also anxious because he was anxious that we missed the train. So I whispered into his ear, um, look at all these old men standing uh, in the train station, trying to guess which direction the train is coming from, left or right. And they just look all ridiculous because that's something that they can't control and they have all, all, no influence over. So I just told him, don't be like them, be smarter. That's something that I couldn't have said to my kids like 15 years ago, because I was that guy on, on in the train station, looking left and right to see what direction the train was coming from, just to prepare myself to jump in the train. When, when <laughs> there, is, there is no hurry, the train will stop. I will get on board, whatever happens. So... Um, that's that's very very um, accurate what you just said. My standards are now very different uh, different uh, from what they were like ten years ago. So my idea, and that's what I I was trying to say about the, my idea of perfection, it has changed now because I I I know better than what I used to know ten years ago uh, or twenty years ago. So it, the the standards that I have now are very different. I have a small sidebar to that. If you could, would you buy back something from a customer that you made? Fuck a yeah. To change it? No, no buy it back. Like, to keep like, it as a keepsake of the oh, person yeah, yeah, or yeah, the, the yeah, skills yeah, you yeah, had at the yeah. moment. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, there, because, there, yeah, I, I think, I think I would the same. Uh, and I came to think of it because that's what Levis does. If you can find a reasonable good pair of jeans. Yeah. From the 1800s. Yeah. Levis would pay a shit ton of money for them. Like not, not only because they are rare now, mm -hmm. but because they are 
historical to the company. Yeah. And they show a lot about the history and the quality of what they used to do and try to still do, I imagine. You mean what what they used to focus on? Too early on. We're not there yet. Yeah, it's um, one of the biggest problems I have with having a very supportive family is that I keep all of the ugly shit I made early on. And the, one of the That's worst... That's what is made for. <laughs> to remind the, you. Yeah, one of the worst and best reminders is my nan that I live with. Because on her door is one of the first heart hooks I ever made. And I have to look at it every single time yeah, I get back home. It, 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 it doesn't mean the same thing for you as it means for her. Um, it means the world for her to have that. And, and the state of it, it's like, why do our parents keep all the drawings we made when we were kids? They are, they, they are pr- pr- super bad. Like, but it, it's kids drawing, but we love them because that's what they do at that age. And, and we love that for them to answer your question so they can hold, uh, hold it under your nose and go look at that shite you draw when you are <laughs> only on your wedding, wedding day only yeah, exactly. on your wedding day like, oh he's gonna marry someday <laughs> <laughs> but to answer your question was uh, absolutely there is a few things that I've made and sold to clients that I would love to buy back because that I was really proud of what I've made and and I knew that it was a, a, a unique piece that I would I, that I will have no uh, chance to do it again unless I really take the time again and, and find the motivation. But it's, you know, it, it's very different when you are doing, making something for yourself. You don't always have the motivation. When it's for your clients, there's this pressure. You want to do it well. You want to do it on time. So you, so you really put yourself into it. When it's done, doing it all over again for yourself is way more complicated. So there is a few stuff that I would buy back because I I was proud of the thing, even though it was years ago, and I prob- I would probably do it better now. Like the map I, I made for Brett uh, a few yeah. years back, um, I I've, I had a chance to to visit him in the US a few years ago and and see the map, and I know that I would do it better now. I would I would improve the map if I had to redo it now, but. It was also a testimony of my skills and appreciation at that time. And I'm, even though I would, even though I could uh, probably spend a few days or even a week remaking another map, it wouldn't be the same map. It would, it would be better looking probably, but all the feelings put into that map would be different. Mm. And that's something to focus on. Yes. There is a certain <laughs> level of acceptance that you have to have as a craftsperson because you, yeah. it is inevitable yeah. that the things you made in the past are not as good as the things you can currently make. Yeah, it is. It is inevitable, like death and taxes. Yeah, and Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> and Thanos. Um, and if the client is happy with it at the time, you have to accept that. Yeah, and go yeah. well. The client is happy with it, and that's something to focus on. No, yeah, and I have to like look for Steph a little bit because she's also beat. Joe, do you have one? Do you have a recommendation? Someone that you want to give a shout out to? Well, I've got two recommendations, if that's all right. I'm going to be a tad rogue. Yeah, sure. That's fine. The first recommendation is to Jimmy Coleman at Wolf and Bison for changing the face of human history. Because today he came up with the chorizo cheese taco. 
Yes. So for years, right, me and my friend Sam would go into the woods and we'd have chorizo, cheese, chorizo on a skewer over the fire. The problem with that is we like cheddar the best, or I do because I'm pretty terrified of other cheeses. Um, and uh, <laughs> cheddar can be quite crumbly, a good mature cheddar. So, you know, you try and stick this bit of cheddar on and it falls apart. So you have to squeeze it in between the bits of treats. It doesn't really work. Anyway, Jimmy, absolute innovator. It changed the course of human history today. <laughs> put the skewer in at the very edge of the bit of ring of chorizo, put some cheese in the middle of the chorizo, bent the side up and put the stick through the opposite edge. Nice. So you've got like this taco shell <laughs> with yeah. cheese in the middle that you can then just cook up. I can't, I've been doing this for so long and I never thought of it. And he just rocked my world. So first shout out, Jimmy, mate, nice absolutely nice nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> second one uh slightly more serious one is um a guy called philbrook philbrook longbows um he's a guy who i first met when he was teaching the um certificate of applied bushcraft which was a bushcraft leadership course i did um he was the assistant on that but did a lot of the teaching and since then i've gone back and worked with him a lot um he is an incredible craftsman he makes bows and arrows and teaches a lot as well, both bushcraft and bow making. Um, if anyone is in either of those worlds, I would highly recommend looking him up. His knowledge base is enormous and he's a fantastic teacher and an amazing craftsman. So um, yeah, can't recommend either knowing him or having one of his products enough. His name again was Phil Brook. Excellent. Nice. nice. I will do a little bit of a tease. Okay. And I'll really recommend listening to the Maker's Waffles episode with Andy Berkey from, yeah. I think it's two weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, relative to this episode. Yeah. Uh, which also might be a relevant slightly bit of homework for next week's episode. Yeah, that too. But that's, uh, I think we mentioned it back when it happened, but Berkey's workshop burned down mm-hmm. and he was talking through a lot of uh, what happened around that and his feelings around that. Mm-hmm. And it's also Berkey, so there's a hell of a lot of holy shenanigans going on in that podcast episode that is yeah. really good to listen to. But that episode specifically is a good one. Yeah. Good chat. Good chat. Makers Waffles, especially Andy Berkey's episode, the last one of those. Perfect. Jan, your turn. The, the, the Andes and the Berkey. No, uh, the, the Wizard and... No, wait. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm going to keep it pretty short. I've been watching lately, but because of kind of redesigning a little bit of my garden and stuff like that, I, lo- I love people doing greenhouses, mm-hmm. especially like the tropical ones. There's not a lot of videos on YouTube, but I stumbled over a guy uh, called Life Exotic who's also big into um, like snakes and lizards, everything. So he's building a greenhouse. He's technically not allowed to call it that because that thing is like, that's bigger than my house. (laughs) (laughs) So they set up like an industrial greenhouse in the backyard of his parents. And they're building like a big pond in there and like a walkway. And um, thankfully they're pretty far along with all the stuff like the, the pond is already finished and it was fun watching that because i could binge probably like 20 30 episodes of that so uh highly recommended life exotic the guys uh living in utah nice. and he's doing everything by himself like uh, laying the brickwork for the center bricks 
for the pond, doing the whole installation for it. He's doing the fiberglassing inside, everything for the first time, but he just goes for it. He also mentions that he works most of the day, so he's doing that at nighttime, just basically running with three hours of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's uh, fun to watch and uh, how he's building it up, and you see that's like a life project and an absolutely like um, I don't know, yeah. It's it's and it's fun to watch. So that's mine. Red, how about you? Uh, mine is gonna be very personal this week. Uh, I would I, I I'm gonna uh, talk about my wife because she's a, a wonderful human being and she's been wonderful during the trip. But also, I wanted to mention all the people. Like when I was in Disneyland, one one of the things that was very, very, um, um, I, I I don't know how to describe it, but it was a, a very nice surprise. Was all the workers uh, in Disneyland? Uh, it's a very tough job. It's very difficult to deal with that amount of people all day long, all year long, to be smiling to be polite to be calm to say the same thing over and over again all day long all the year long and all the workers that are setting dreams and magic to those kids all day long all year long um are extraordinary they are they are well way underpaid for what they are doing i think it's a very tough job because raining you're working it's cold you're working there is no day off it's also there are humans there are other uh, people and and yeah the the it's it's difficult to do that kind of job so um i know that none of them are listening to this podcast but if it happens to to if, if they do one day i don't know or if you are listening and you are working in the entertainment industry and you are giving joy and magic and pleasure to other people well done you because that that's something that the world absolutely needs these days and yeah. the kids especially so yeah that's mine for the week very nice very cool. joe if people want to do some friendly stalking where can they find you uh you can find me on instagram which is thornwood forge um or my website, thornwoodforge.com. Very cool. Cool. Very thank you for being on. Thank you very That's much for so having magic. me. It's and thank you for feeding me and <laughs> housing me and all of that. <laughs> it has both been a pleasure to have you today and a pleasure to be on the podcast. It's great to see you again, guys. Yeah, same. Same. Uh, to, to, see, to see you in real life very soon. Exactly. And you guys have fun at Maker Central. I'm not jealous at all. No, fuck you too. <laughs> <laughs> And if you also want to tell fuck off, you can do that collectively at two thirds focused. And you can even give pay us money to tell us to fuck off on Patreon. I'm not sure how that works. Anyway, you can find me at <laughs> Rasmus Lewin and Lewinsmeer.no. And you can find me at Red Smith or the Red Smith ever on the internet. And More you can specifically, find me... wait, I was not done. <laughs> I <laughs> love the interrupt though. <laughs> yeah, I know. Chop, chop, <laughs> chop, chop. Okay, Jan, your turn. No, you're not done yet. I'm done now. Okay, Nerd, Nerd Inventor, Social Tech, or Jan Maxwell. Perfect. Very cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, Joe, thank you for coming on. Thank you, thank you guys. Have fun, guys. Bye. Have a good week. They can't hear the waving, though. <laughs>